Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livinio to Levy. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Greetings to everyone out there listening to Livinio to Levi podcast. I'm your host, Teemu Virtanen, and today's episode is the last preseason podcast, and it is a special one as we have three different segments. First, you will hear from the CEO of Visma Ski Classics, David Nielsen, as he gives you the latest info and update on the upcoming season and the first race Engadin La Diagonela. Then the project manager of Visma Ski Classics, Caroline Eriksson, tells you about my pages, ranking, and gives you tips on how to approach the season. And finally, Eric Wikström and I speculate on the potential winners and dark horses of the first race, Enganin La Diagonela, the 65-kilometer race that is taking place next Saturday, and the overall season as well. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we take you to the world of Visma Ski Classics. And we'll start this podcast with the CEO of Visma Ski Classics, David Nielsen. So, David, you have arrived in Switzerland, correct? Only a week before the season gets started. Engadin La Diagonela, 65-kilometer race, is soon upon, uh, upon us. So, how is uh, how is the country over there? Dark, I guess, but let us know. Yeah, I just arrived. It was a long drive from... Uh... From Scandinavia down, it's uh, at the moment the, the safest way to to be sure to to get it down here in this Corona times, I believe. So it was a 1,600 meter drive today, quite a long day, but uh, beautiful weather. And uh, when we came closer, it's a lot of snow, cold temperature, and uh, we see the stars, meaning that tomorrow we will have a great uh, great day down here, as it more or less always is here in uh, in the Engadin Valley of Switzerland. It's you know, the tourist boards say that it's 322 sunny days per year. That's probably some kind of record. So pretty much everything is set, you know, for the first race, La Diagonela. Yeah, we have, uh, of course, worked. Actually, we worked mostly, more or less day and night since uh, April last year with the, with the, this season to be able to understand the changes in, in terms of uh, the effects of the Corona and COVID situation, and uh, and how it affects the being, you know, nationalities going to different countries have different rules. So it's quite uh, complex the situation to to understand the possibilities to have uh, races around Europe. But of course, waiting for for the latest and the changes of restrictions that have been more or less daily or weekly at least updating around Europe. So yeah. We are finally ready and we did uh, some changes in front of uh, the season. And uh, But now we are into, so to say, delivery mode and we are ready for next race. Or next weekend's the, the first race in, in the La Diagonela and Engadin. And what's a little bit special about this uh, first race is that it's only for, the, uh, for our skiers, for the pro team athletes and the elite skiers, uh, no public or no no recreational skiers this time around. Yeah, exactly. So they've done a fantastic job from both uh, uh, John Bill and Ramon Ratti from the from the organization part, uh, working with the government, explaining them, uh, having our 
Uh, and also from our side, especially uh, my colleague Caroline, I think you will hear from her later in this program, if I understand you right, Demo. So that's that's correct. Yeah. So she, the project manager, of course, for for Vismaski Classic Pro Tour, and uh, Caroline has been working daily or twenty four hours since April or so. So so uh, to understand the possibilities and be sure that we have uh, possibilities to do race. So yeah, it's. Um, uh, it, everything is ready, but still, as, as with COVID-19, uh, even if we are within seven days from a race, and anything can kind of happen the last week, even if we we strongly believe that we should be all set. And as you said, unfortunately, we will not have amateurs on the start line, which of course feels really sad, because that's what we're very proud of the, in Vispaski Classic, having a start line with men and women elite and elite and recreational at the same time and on the same start line, same distance. So of course it uh, feels very, so to say, naked to be without the amateur skiers. They are kind of the core of our of our tour and our sport. So, but that's the that's the way it will be this winter. And and as we all explained, we are ready with this uh, COVID nineteen protocol that how we will behave in different ways and with testing and so on. But but then uh, everyone needs to be prepared that it will be a different season and it will be possibilities that stars, top skiers will uh, test positive, be into quarantine and miss races and, and so on. So there are, when we summarize this, this season in April uh, after Ulus Levy, then Hopefully we have nine great races to look back on, but it's uh, we have also been prepared that there will will be changes during the season. That's kind of we are at least mentally prepared for for that in the in the organization. There sure will be all kinds of changes, but the good news is that the uh, the Italian events right after La Diagonella should be at least at this stage should be open to regular regular skiers should be open to public. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's uh, fantastic good news that uh, I received a call this morning that they confirmed from to begin with Tobla Cortina that they are allowed to have international participants, uh, my, uh, so to say recreational skiers, of course. Um, and it's the same for our pro teams. I mean, even if we are pro team, we need to, the staff of ski class as well, we need to closely follow uh, the restrictions that there are and the government rules. If you test positive, what you do, etc., then we are not different from any other people in the society. We need to to, to follow governmental canteen rules, etc. And that's the same for recreation skiers coming to Toba Cortina, that it's it's open for international skiers to come, and um, but they need to make sure that but depending on which country they live in, there are different rules. So they need to to go and uh, check what the rules are. And I would rec recommend to go to to uh, Bismarcki Classics homepage. There is a COVID nineteen um, in the menu, uh, and uh, under that one, you can find for each country information about or where to get the information on on the different governmental sites in different countries around Europe. So, but that's fantastic news that they that uh, we have a Tobla Cortina with amateur skiers. They, of course, will be some changes. One thing is that we move, um, uh, we make normally the, the women start first and then we have men elite and the recreational. But now in Tobla Cortina, we make a bigger gap. So it's actually three starts, we can say, and that may, or probably more depending on 
how many uh, amateur skiers that sign up. It's still open uh, to, to register. So I think a lot of people have been waiting to see if it's going to happen or not. But now it's no, no time to waste uh, to register. But, um, but there will be kind of a, a gap between the elite start and, um, and the um, recreational ski start. So it's really a little bit different. And of course, a lot of safety protocols. You have to pass a tent with a doctor measuring your temperature in the morning of the race, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like normal, but at least it's possible to ski. So I think that's fantastic. And and the same with the Marsalonga, which is, of course, the weekend after. It's um, at the moment also open for, for recreation skiers. So uh, so that's, um, that's we really look forward to having, having uh, combined races again from, from the Italian ones. However, they should be said that on the, the rules we have today in Italy might there comes new rules on January 15th, so it could potentially change, but um, the event feel that these rules are quite uh, quite realistic that they will be also on the race day. So I think that's definitely a splendid news to a lot of people out there listening and hoping and contemplating, wondering if they can really go, can come over and participate, uh, particularly much longer, you know, that's a, that is the, grand, the first Grand Classics events, and I know a lot of people are are you know really eager to get there but speaking of the changes that you just kind of touched upon what else is new for this season yeah i mean we we moved as you might remember if you listen to podcast we in uh, october i believe it was we or november we moved to the initial plan b meaning that we moved to 11 races after new year then we took a decision uh, right, just before New Year, actually, in the in the Christmas days, there that uh, in order to to have a schedule that's realistic to actually do and uh, keeping it as safe as possible to to cut away a little bit more in the schedules, we are actually on nine events now. So we took away the protein tempo that uh, the startup of the season, but we want to have a re uh, a testing day the day before the main race of, of each weekend. And then we feel it's uh, better. In this winter, it feels kind of like less is more, that uh, keeping safe, doing um, you know one race at a time, having time to prepare for the next race weekend after, etc. I think that, that's the, the key to, to make it ready. So, so the, the, the main changes is that there will be nine events this season, and uh, it's nine really good events. So it feels... Um, Feels like a, a very compact and good uh, good calendar. We will we will start with. So that's from the calendar perspective. Then, of course, as every year, we have some um, rule changes, as you might know. So there's a quest for making the sport more gender equal. We, we every year try to see what we want to, how we can so a push in the right direction. We're very happy to see that it goes quite fast in the right direction with the percentage number of female skiers in the pro teams. Uh, for the first time, we're over, way over 30% of uh, in front of the season of uh, the protein athletes being females. So still, uh, we have some way to, to 50, but it's still uh, increasing every year. And that's very good. And one of the rule changes we did in front of this season was to uh, that it's mandatory for the proteins to have two minimum two athletes of each gender. So... That's kind of a new rule change. So when they register protein, they need to to make sure that at least two men and two women 
uh, skiers uh, registered. So that's one of the changes. Another one is that we have changed a little bit the youth calculation as most uh, no following us. We have in the pro team competition, you calculate not only the the best results, uh, the two best men and women results from the yellow bib, so to say, competition. But in addition, you get 50% extra if for the use uh, gears. And before it was unlimited number of use gears that you got extra. And this season we, we limited a little bit. So it's the best female use gear and the best male youth skier that gets this 50% extra. And we have this rule in order to build the future for the sport. So younger skiers that in, in, it was a big change, of course, last season, if you wrote about in the pro skiing magazine, that there was youth revolution. I think you, you and Eric called it, uh, but uh, it, in this you look, look over 10 years, it's quite high average age of the winners of, of long distance skiing, because it takes long time to get the physiology right in your body. So, uh, so we have, we are trying to encourage this youth skiers, which is actually not so so young that are up, up to 26 years old so so they um that in the youth category they're quite old if you look at other winter sports maybe but um but we have the best one this year so that's one of the change in order to to we feel twist the rules a little bit then maybe the the biggest change is of course the introduction of uh, the grand classics events that for big ones that, so to say that we that we have um, the new level with uh, Marcelonga, Jesarska, Vasaloppet and Birken, where the skiers will get 300 points and uh, where you normally get 200 points if you win other. And it's also going to be higher price money in those four events. So so this is, I think, the big changes. And, and part of that, if a skier wins all four, that one will complete the Grand Slam. And then it will be... Uh, a, a substantial price money in that uh, price, and we're going to reveal that next week before the first event. So, so that's of course maybe the, the biggest change of of uh, the season. And also, a couple of changes that we have is that the the ranking there is is ranking is also now fifteen events instead of uh, the twenty events within a twenty four uh, month uh, time period, and also in the challengers. Uh, the the winners won't get the 50, 50 points uh, in this season. Uh, yeah, so that that's the twist we did last week when we saw there's quite many challenges. First of all, unfortunately, that are being cancelled due to the the COVID nineteen situation, of course. And uh, in addition, uh, since there are fewer races, but we also don't want to push the pro team athletes to to run for points everywhere, to do unnecessary travel this winter. So we felt it's quite, quite easy the decision to uh, to take that, even if it's very sad for the challengers, but really, you know, for them, it's a big thing having pro team and pro tour athletes coming to the races to collect the 50 bonus points. But this is not the normal winter, so we have to just go with safety first, even if it was a tough decision in that sense. And also big chains or more like a new addition is the Orefelsloppet 100k race, which is the longest race uh, in the history of Bismarck Ski Classics. And it's a tough, tough course. And another one is uh, will be also interesting to see the Vasaloppet one, 
because that is very much like La Diagonela, only for the elite uh, skiers. Of course, Vasalopet will be will be held uh, over a long period, but now I'm talking about the main race itself. Uh, yeah, which is and, now only limit. and for the first time, it's going to be women first in a separate start in Vasalopet due to have. So they get not so many skiers that starting at the same time in COVID-19, but that's also a great chance for seeing that the women will get extra attention where, of course, with the hype, the discussion in uh, uh, having Marit Björgen back on the start line doing her comeback in uh, maybe before, but at least at Vasalopet, having her there, it's fantastic to, to really push forward the, the women competition and make sure they get a lot of spotlight and with their with their own start this winter i i think it's going to be 20 minutes in front of the men and uh, then there's going to be a lot a lot of focus on the women class when it comes to Barcelona. so there are definitely lots of changes and it will be an interesting very different season as you mentioned earlier but based on all this that you just kind of said and and told us about uh, what are your expectations of the seasons we were finally getting started uh, which because that was also a big question are we going to get started at all and now we are which is a good really good news uh, but your own sort of perspective your expectations your hopes yeah, but this. we we have prepared for a long time and it's very hard to prepare when when there's so many uncertainties that you don't know what to prepare for but we, so we prepare for for a lot of different scenarios and so we feel in the in the Vismaski Classics crew we feel that we are ready and the only thing I know is that with all certainty it will not go as exactly as we have planned it today when we summarize the season most likely we will have some changes during the season in in different ways so so we are ready for for that and we'll try to do our best all the time that's kind of the mentality we need to have in the in the tour organization to always try to do our best but then more than that, we cannot do. I mean, we, there's also limits to, to what we can do, of course. We, but we will definitely have our fighting phase on from now until April. And then, you know, take try to take weekend by weekend. But at the same time, you need to be, you know, a couple of races ahead of time to see if there's some changes coming. So a normal winter, we kind of feel quite sure that we will have the races. So then we, we are really focusing one race at a time. This winter, we would like to do that, but we need to have the split vision to be able to to see are there changes in the rules for, you know, in different countries that we're coming to later, so we are, so we can prepare a little bit on forehead as well. So, yeah, it's um, I expect that it's going to be a very tough season and a lot of work and a lot of uncertainties. But on the other hand, I'm sure we're going to together with the with the pro teams and and the athletes, we're going to cope it in a, in the best possible way and. Uh, uh, looking forward to all it's so, so fun to be back in, in the ski it feels so long time ago we had the ski race it was Vasalopet last year so it feels kind of you're almost a little bit nervous for for the first race you remember how how to do inside the TV bus etc so it's going to feel feel great uh, next Saturday when we when we shoot the start shots for, for La Diagonela it's, it's a great feeling that I really look forward to since the next segment is going to be about uh, my pages and the ranking and all that, uh, so is there anything that you would like to say to the uh, the regular skiers or the the uh, recreational skiers that uh, that are now kind of th- listening to this and thinking about going to these places to our to our races? Any any encouraging words yeah. for them? 
I mean, it, it, be prepared. I think that and just uh, read. And it's a great, as I said before, if you go to the Bismarck Classics homepage, there's a, there is a COVID-19 section and there you can find a lot of links to the right places. Uh, be prepared and uh, understand that they are, but and be, take responsibility. I think that's an important thing that everyone, for for each other, that we are, you know, this winter we in Vispas Classic, we stay in different apartments, we make our own food. It's, it's not, it's very different because we try to expose ourselves as less as we in any way can to to any viruses. So for everyone going out there, I hope everyone can have great skiing races where it's open for, for recreation skiers and but still, always be responsibility for that we all try to be towards each other because the last thing I would like to see is anyone getting infected during during the races or so. That would be for me it would be very sad. Sad to see that. So so um with that said, I also be interested in listening later on to your my pages section because I think those who haven't done it yet, both athletes and uh, I mean uh, elite athletes and recreation should directly go to Ski Classics homepage and register to my pages since it's, it's free of charge. It's, it's a lot of features at the moment there, but we are launching new all the time to create a, a community where we, we can share, you know, dreams together, I can say like that. That's certainly something uh, that Caroline and I will talk about uh, next. And at the end of the this episode, Eric Fickstrom and I will talk about La Diagonela and of course the, the whole season. And then your pick, you know, speaking of La Diagonela, Engadin La Diagonela, your picks, you know, for the for the winners. Who are your favorites? Yeah, it's um, I, I when I've been seeing the preseason results on Petrelias, and I I I don't see how I could say something. It feels looks like he's the last month has been in the best shape ever. So I think Petter, I think all the other male skiers on the start line uh, kind of um, already now feel with uh, anxiety look, looking forward to the race because they know it's going to be tough speed from, from Eliasen. But there are many, many out there, of course, but I would put, I would put my bet on him. And in the women class, of course, uh, you know, usual suspects uh, with um, Britta and Lina. Astrid, it would be interesting to see her shape. I have not really seen her in the preseason so much. So it um, so be interesting if she's better last year, same level. Then, of course, she is maybe the, the main favorite uh, for, for this race. But um, then we have some new flavors in the women class with uh, Lynn Samska, maybe especially uh, coming in. And we haven't seen her in, um, in uh, long distance races winter time so we're not sure where she is but that can be a very interesting start and Emilia Fleten who did a really good first season last winter I'm sure she's taking a couple of steps forward so and it's five six of the of the female skis that I think can will fight for for the victory and but on the male side I Peter Liasen is uh, is my strong favorite for for next Saturday and it will be very interesting because the women will start 30 minutes before the men, which means that they will definitely have a race on their own. Yeah, that's and they, that's they're a, not going to wait for the guys. Exactly, that's quite a, actually a big change for that. They had ten minutes, if I not remember wrong, last year, and uh, so we want the women to to actually finish first. It depends on the snow condition and on the tactics, of course, but it's likely that the women can finish have the, as you say their their own race hold through. So, so they need to do tactics within the group, not waiting for the men to pass and try to you know 
kill the other female skiers by following you know the the, the faster guys and see you know that that tactic. But now they need to to think about how to position themselves within the female group more. So so that's very interesting and. I hope they both make the the train crossing in time because there is this train crossing after about twenty k or so. So um, I hope that that we make it. But I'm sure that the LOC has control of that. I think they do. But thank you very much, David. I know that you are tired. You you just finished a long drive. Uh, you need to go and get some sleep. And uh, I will continue with uh, Caroline Eriksson. So thank you very much. And good luck with the race. Thank you. Happy to speak to you, Timo. And uh, unfortunately, I will not see you down here because you are part of the corona. You are actually commentating from Finland this winter. So that feels that's a big change. But uh, that we, is a big change. And yeah, that's something we haven't done before. So uh, <laughs> we should kind of excited, but a bit you bit nervous too, you know, because I'm not there. <laughs> no, we're gonna miss you. So, but uh, but I see you hopefully sooner or later during the season in real life. Hopefully, hopefully at least uh, by the time we get to Vasalope. That's the plan. Now you can be part of Visma Ski Classics. Sign up for my pages if you haven't done it yet. You can be ranked among other skiers, including our pro team athletes, and compare your ranking with your friends. You can also get different pins that measure your achievements. So go to vismaskiclassics.com, sign in by clicking my pages on the top and get ready for action in Season 11. And this is the second part of our podcast, Livinio to Levy, today. Uh, first, you had a chance to listen to uh, our CEO, David uh, Nielsen, but now I have an interesting person here, Caroline Eriksson, who is actually the project manager uh, in Visma Ski Classics. It's good to have you. Have you here, Caroline? How are you doing? Thank you, Tema, for having me here. I'm very, doing very well, thank you. And you are actually based in Stockholm. Any snow there at the moment? Actually, we finally got some of the white gold on the ground here. Not much, but still. Any chance for skiing? Uh, not yet, and I'm not sure if the uh, municipality here will prepare any tracks now uh, because of Corona. Uh, but let's hope we can otherwise ski and do our own tracks if we come a little bit more snow. Well, that's a good to hear because I know that last year was pretty grim. You didn't get any snow there. Uh, and much like over here in Finland too, the southern southern part of Finland, no snow at all. So at least it's looking much better now, uh, more winter-like. Um, but let's kind uh, of talk about uh, my pages, the ranking. Those are the new initiatives that started last season, and of course they are going strong. Uh, and uh, for this particular season, my pages first. That's uh, definitely kind of a reach uh, extension towards uh, the regular folks, regular folks meaning not the professional skiers, uh, but the, um, I don't like this word amateur, but recreational skiers, everyone who's interested in long distance skiing, correct? Yes, that's correct. So my pages is the online community that we launched uh, last year, uh, where we would like to invite everyone interested in long distance skiing to join us on the same platform so we can grow the sport together. So there you find also your results 
from the events you've done in Visma Sweet Classics, both when it comes to the Pro Tour events, but also the Challenger events. So you can log in and create your profile there, and then you connect to the database that we have in Ski Classics, and we have the results from, from this, the start of the Ski Classics. And this is open to everyone, correct? Yeah. Yes, it's open for everyone and it's free of charge. So it's just easy to easy few steps to create your account. Let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, I know that you just kind of went through that, but once again, if uh, someone I have my own account, but if someone someone out there is really willing to do it and and ready for for it, uh, what are the steps one needs to take? Once again. So you go into wismanskiclassics.com and then you click on my pages and then there you fill in your uh, information and then you connect to the database. So you have your account and then you find your results also in the database. You, when, you, when you talk about results, uh, let's clarify that a little bit. Results of, of course, of, race, yeah. uh, of our events, not the, all every single ski race in the world. <laughs> No, that's correct. So we have the results from the Pro Tour events uh, going back uh, since the start of Ski Classics and now also bringing in all the results from the Challenger events. And those uh, races are the ones that, that, that's also a new initiative that got started last season. Uh, right now we have about 40, 40 ish, 40 Challenger uh, events uh, all over the world. And uh, those are the ones that you can also participate and, and get results. How are the results uh, kind of, uh, how, how is this, this system based on? What is it based on? How do, how do you get your result? That's probably something that a lot of people could ask. Okay, I do a race, but how is it, how is it calculating my result compared to other races? Okay, so what we're doing is that at the race, most of the participants have a timing transponder or some kind of uh, easy transponder that connects your time when passing different timing positions along the race course. That where you get also your finishing time when you cross the finish line. So all of these data go, goes through the different technical steps and we get into our database where we save them all and then we can retrieve them for, for everyone if they create their uh, My Pages account and then they find all the results on the same, same position. And then, of course, we have ranking there, which is an interesting one. Right now, uh, Peter Eliasen is leading the ranking, uh, followed by uh, Andreas Nigor, and then Britta Johansson Nugren. This is interesting. Uh, this is uh, both uh, genders are included in this ranking, and the whole ranking is part of the My Page. So if you sign in, create your profile, uh, and you become a My Page member, uh, then you are automatically ranked among all the skiers within the system. Um, let's talk about the ranking a little bit, because uh, that could be kind of a complicated uh, issue to, to kind of understand, because every time you start ranking people, it's not an easy, uh, easy solution, easy way to do it. But how does, does uh, our ranking really work? So uh, when everyone do an event, they get their finishing time compared to the finishing time of the winner in their own gender. So for example, if I race uh, where Britta wins, my time compared to her time will give me a certain amount of points. 
and these points are then added up for all events that you do and in the ranking list you have you uh, combined all the 15 best event results the last 24 months and that gives you the the current uh, ranking points and then compared to everyone else in this uh, list as well and also that the 15 it used to be 20 20 events uh, now for this season it has been changed to uh, 15 events and also for the pro team athletes uh, not this season but normally they get if they win a race they get 50 points which is then counting towards uh, the champion competition uh, which is an interesting way of expanding their kind of the scope and making sure that our pro team athletes uh, are going to participate uh, in other races as well in our challenger events Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Um, anything else you want to say uh, about uh, my pages? I know that there are pins and stuff that you can ke- get, uh, all kinds of perks uh, when you join. Yes. So what we want to do is that we want to inspire people to to do more events. So we have set up um, a number of uh, different uh, pins, and that's kind of challengers, uh, kind of challenges where you can challenge yourself and challenge your friends uh, to do more events and also to to yeah do better results. So for example, if you participate in Marcia Longa you, and you finish Marcia Longa, you receive the Marcia Longa pin. And if you do, do also finish uh, within 150% of the winning time in your gender, then you also receive the golden Marcia Longa pin. So we have a lot of different pins that that gives this extra uh, yeah, credit for you when you have uh, done a good uh, performance. Well, those pins sound really uh, interesting. Any other examples you can give besides the much longer ones? So we have around 40 at the moment, and we are continuously developing the pins. Uh, but for example, we also have uh, the Grand Classics pins. So if you finish and complete the Grand Classics events, you get uh, different uh, pins as well. Like, for example, the, the standard Grand Classics pin you get if you complete one uh, Grand Classics event. And then you get the bronze Grand Classics pin if you complete two, and etc. So we have different steps in different levels. It's actually really good that you uh, uh, just brought that up. You know, the Grand Classics, those four big events, uh, the kind of the ground jewels uh, of long-distance skiing. And those events are Machalonga, Iseska Paresatka, Speaking of the events, all of the events, not just those four that I just mentioned, but the whole season, uh, you work with every every event. Uh, at this stage, we are about to get uh, to get started. La Diagonela is uh, next week, next Saturday. What's kind of your look or take on the uh, the upcoming season? Based on you know the discussions you've had, all this, uh, all the events and all the work you put into this. Of course, this is a very special season when we have the pandemic all around us, and we of course need to adapt uh, to the current situation. But of course, we are also doing our utmost to to deliver a season because it's important for us, but it's also very important for the pro teams and athletes, and also for recreational skiers and like public health in general, uh, to have events and have have things to, to exercise and to train for. 
So we're very excited that the season is finally going to start next weekend. And yeah, we are prepared and ready for it. I was going to ask you about that. Just generally speaking, uh, when you've talked to the organizers of uh, each event, how, uh, how are they feeling at this stage? I mean, how are, uh, what's kind of the consensus that it's going on there? And, and, and uh, excitement, of course. We all are excited and we're really happy that we're getting started. We're getting started a bit later than normally. This is mid-January now. Uh, but what, what kind of things would you like to point out you know, when you have uh, discussed with the event? organizers everyone is really prepared and willing to do the job that is required to have safe events and the of course the big challenge is that the rules of each country is changing all the time uh, we don't know exactly what the current rules will be when we have like a few weeks ahead to an event so we continuously monitor uh, and what happens and have a very close dialogue from, from our side to the events, but also for the events to their local governments. And since La Diagonela is the next one, the first one, and the next one uh, uh, next Saturday in Switzerland, right now for those people, I know that, as you said, things change, regulations change uh, constantly. Uh, but for those people uh, that are planning to go there and do the race, are there any generic kind of tips, advice that you can give to them? And of course, our pro team athletes, they pretty much know what to do, uh, but there are still skiers that are planning to go there or uh, the Italian races that follow. What do they need to take into account uh, when, they, when they leave their, their respective home countries? It's really important that they look at the travel restrictions uh, because depending on which country you come into, for example, Switzerland, it can require quarantine it can require that you do testings beforehand and that you have certain documents showing that you're going to participate in an event and etc so it's really important that beforehand you you look at the websites of the local governments and see what the what the rules are so you are prepared when coming there good uh, is there anything else you want to say today uh, to those guys particularly uh, leisure skiers, recreational skiers, not our pro team athletes. Uh, they pretty much have all the information. They know what to do. Uh, anything else uh, besides safe travels? <laughs> uh, on the businessskiesclassics.com website, we have a certain page called COVID-19. And there everyone can find useful sources for, for travel information, depending on which country you're going to. So that's a good way to uh, place to start. And then navigate further to, to find the right information for, for, for your country and where you're traveling. That sounds like a good, good uh, advice. But now, Caroline, I think I'd like to find out a little bit more about you. You've been uh, within, uh, the, with uh, Visma Ski Classics, W Sports Media, the company behind it, for a quite a long time now. Um, but who are you really? I mean, a lot of... Uh, people out there listening to you probably curious to know what's your background how did you get into this this job and who is Caroline Erickson really oh, that's a good question so I've been with the company for three years now uh, having a background from both sports science and then also marketing so I've had quite a like a broad broad input from from coming into the company I've skied all my life never been on any high level, but I was competing in swimming for quite many years. Uh, 
on on like a national level. Uh, so I've had a, a very broad sports background in that sense. So coming into to W Sports Media and Ski Classics was really a dream to to be able to combine both like sports and marketing and business. And yeah, it's a really exciting job. I have done so much different things in the company and I'm learning new things every day. So yeah, it's really exciting. But what did you do before besides, you know, swimming before you join, join the gang? So I've been working uh, with sports science in the sense that I worked up in Östersund at the National Sports uh, Center there uh, doing some physiology tests. And then after this, I also, uh, yeah, took another education in marketing and worked in sales for a while. So, yeah, combining uh, both the sports side and then the marketing and sales side into this job. And then how did this uh, transition from there to uh, Visma Ski Classics happen? Did you just uh, did you get called up or did you find uh, uh, information about this? That How did this kind of materialize that you joined uh, the family, the skiing family here? I applied for an open position actually at the W Sports Media, uh, but then I didn't get it. But after a while, uh, David called me, uh, and because they had a need for for another person in the company, and then it was a, a perfect uh, point in time. So, yeah, we quite quickly found an agreement, and yeah, that's the that's the start of it all. And what's the most exciting thing that uh, about your job? Or one of the most exciting things? I would say to work in an international environment. Every day I have calls with uh, events around Europe and pro teams and athletes and also our consultants that we work with, especially during the winter, that are based uh, all around Europe. So that's really interesting to continuously uh, getting to know different cultures, different people and learning new things. And you mentioned earlier that you're actually wearing many hats, so you have so many different uh, responsibilities and tasks. Uh, but describe kind of a typical day for us, uh, kind of the behind the scenes of uh, Visma Ski Classics, because as you said, you're doing so many things. You're running, pretty much running the show uh, quite a lot as well. Uh, yes, you say it's a lot of different things, um, mostly doing emails, how... Yeah, plain that can sound, but it's a lot about coordinating, coordinating the work between all these different functions, the, the events and the pro teams, and making sure that everyone has their the right information, that we have the right data. It is quite a complex uh, thing to be working with because it's a lot of different functions when we have, yeah, from the media side, we have the TV production, and then all the data that we spoke about with my pages, we have a database need to have the exact information and then yeah we work with sponsorship and marketing yeah it's a very broad broad uh, job and uh, yeah different things every day do you get to travel a lot of course this is a kind of a special year but uh, in a normal year um some of the seasons i've been out on all the events during the tour so it depends also on the end the year on the task and uh, this year mainly coordinating uh, COVID-19 related topics then I'm at least based in Stockholm during the first two events and then we see how what the needs will be when we are out there of course we also want to slim down the 
the organization out on the tour now uh, during COVID. But otherwise, uh, it's really good for me to have a combination of being on site on the events, meeting everyone, but also being at the office and being available all the time. Because if you travel all the winter, you lose also a lot of time. Any sort of good memories, anything that you can, I mean, of, I know this is a tough one off, of course, because you kind of have to go back and just to remember something quickly. Uh, but anything that you'd like to share with us? Anything? I think it was like the overall first season. Just I started a week before the first event. So I started in the in middle of uh, November. So yeah, after being uh, on the office in one week, I traveled down to the Alps and then the season started and I went to all of the different events. So of course that was kind of uh, overwhelming, but also very a time where I learned the most, I would say, because everything was going so quickly and I had just to, to cope with everything. Uh, so I think that was is one of the biggest memories that just like the start in the company was so uh, full on. Was that in Livigno? Yeah, exactly. And where you turned 50, Temu. Oh, exactly. That night is <laughs> rememberable. Oh, yeah. That's, we don't, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but it was a really a rememberable, rememberable night. But do you still recall the first feeling when you arrived in that particular place? Yeah, for sure. It was really yeah, an overwhelming feeling to be there and to be um, at an international event. I had some previous experience from that, but it was really really yeah such a great experience to be there and be involved in every detail um and just meeting all the different people both on site and all the pro teams coming there and for me it's really rewarding to to be able to assist in some way to to bring um long distance skiing and to to make the sport grow and to increase the interest for Visma ski classics and that's really something is a big passion for me and it's a great location Livigno in Italy is a great location to start uh, our tour unfortunately this season uh, that didn't take place uh, we because of of course the pandemic but hopefully you know that that'll that'll be a different case next year but overall this season now since we are getting started uh, next uh, Saturday what are you kind of your hopes expectations for this season overall my expectation is that we're going to be able to deliver a good season, even though we have this these challenges coming ahead. Um, but I do think that everyone is very motivated to, to do their utmost, to to do their part, to de deliver the events and to have a safe environment for everyone. So it's I think it's going to be uh, tough, uh, but it's going to be really um, exciting. And we have a lot of new teams in the tour and I'm really looking forward to see new athletes as well so we're really we have taken a step towards this season and I think that if we just get uh, good opportunities I think we we will show everyone that it's um it's really going to be an interesting season Indeed, that'll be exciting, and that's what Eric Wikström and I will talk about in the next segment, the last part of this uh, particular podcast. Caroline Eriksson, thank you very much for joining us. It was really a nice chatting with you. Take care and have a good time uh, in Stockholm, and let's rock and roll uh, next week once the season gets started. Thank you, Temu. 
If you have any feedback, questions, requests and ideas, please contact us at podcast at skiclassics.com. Enjoy our Living You to Live You podcast and join the fun. Welcome back. And my last guest is Eric Wikström. It's good to have you uh, with us once again, Eric. And as most of you probably remember, Eric is a sports journalist, uh, a really famous coach in Sweden and a really good cross-country skier himself. Uh, I think, uh, Eric, your best result uh, at Vasalope is like 26th or something like that, correct? Yeah, 25. 25. Okay, I was pretty close. Yeah. And you won uh, the second biggest uh, ski race in Sweden, in uh, the Inge um, uh, uh, um, Loppet. I was, yeah, exactly. I was looking for the word Inge <laughs> Loppet. Correct. What year was that? Engelbrechtsloppet. Yeah. Engelbrechtsloppet. Yes. Those were the same year, 2014. It was. It was a good year. How well uh, are you? Uh, do, how well do you think you can do uh, at Vasaloppet this year? I've actually. Uh, been PRing the whole year. I've been uh, actually in my best shape ever in roller skiing, running, strength, and uh, double polling machines. So, uh, if it was in 2014, I could have done better maybe. But the the quality of the athletes in ski classics, the, it's so much better now compared to 2014. So, uh, we'll see. I hope for a top 50. Uh, I'm 38 years old, and I. I mean, I'm never going to win a big race, but I, I think it's great fun to be in shape. And just like many others out there, I have kids and I work with, with skiing and I don't have too much time for training. And for me, it's, um, yeah, I love training when, when I have the chance and uh, try to combine it to be as good father as possible. So, yeah, I hope there will be some uh, good races both in Sweden and uh, abroad this year. But that's the beauty of this sport. You know, you can be an elite skier, our pro team athlete or recreational skier. We all do the same races. We all have the same experiences. Uh, that's that's the kind of the secret of long distance skiing and the pro tour. And speaking of which, it is starting next Saturday. The first race, finally. La Diagonela in, uh, in, Engad in the Engadin Valley in Switzerland is going to take place. And that will be an interesting race. We will talk about that, Eric and I. And then, of course, once again, kind of evaluate the whole season, uh, give you an overview. Uh, naturally, we have only done that in, in many of our previous episodes when Eric uh, Eric and I and, and also Simon Östersen, when we went through all the season favorites and also uh, Simon Östersen and I went through all the events one by one. But once again, La Diagonela, that is next Saturday. It's... An interesting race, as I said. It's a, a bit different race because it's a high altitude. It's a long one. Uh, it's and On paper, it seems to be an easy course, easy one, but it never is. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that this is the first time that we are starting without any kind of prologues, any short races. This is straight to business, to the core of the sport, really. 65K. What's your overall take on, on Lea Diagonella? Let's talk about the course first. Yes, you said many athletes, they say that, I mean, it looks pretty flat on the, on the course profile. Well, there is a, there is a hill, it's a, it's a pretty big hill in the, in the first part of the race. It's like after 20k, I think, it's over 100 height meters. But other than that, it looks pretty flat. And we have these 
flat sections around this airport that you go, you're starting in Zeus and you go to St. Moritz and Pontresina and both on the way there and on the way back you have this long flat section. So, so that, that's kind of easy, but then it's very hard in the end and not just the, the final hill up to the, the, the city, the village, that city, the old center in Zeus, but also like the last 10k, it's very hilly. Those climbs are, they're quite challenging and especially in the end of a long race. And as you said, it's an altitude, you, you're above 1800 meters. So it is a pretty tough course. And I think the distance is doing a lot of that. I mean, it's, if you compare 45 kilometers to 65 kilometers, a lot of things are happening that, that last hour. That is correct. And as you pointed out, uh, this course is a bit deceiving because it starts out uh, kind of flat, but it's not really that flat because it's a gradual climb all the way through the first uh, sprint point to that climb that you just mentioned, which is just uh, before St. Moritz, the famous place. And that is a real climb. Uh, but it is a gradual cl uh, climb all the way there. Then, then it's a little bit up and down, up and down. Then we go down again. And the last 10K, as you mentioned, are really challenging. And at that time, when you have already about 55K behind you, and then you have to go up and down, up and down. And the last final uh, K, as uh, Seaman pointed out in our previous uh, episode, that it's what they call the pro team athletes call the little marcha longa, because it's uh, kind of like marcha longa. The, end, the race ends uh, in a long, long climb. It's not as steep as the famous Cascada Hill, but still... I think an important difference that not so many talk about, like if you compare, for example, Marcellonga and La Diagonela, Marcellonga is also a long race, 70k. Uh, it's a little more downhill. I mean, the, the finish is lower than, than the start. But Marcellonga is often on man-made snow. La Diagonela uh, is often on natural snow, and it's often pretty cold. And cold snow, uh, natural snow, it's not that fast. So... You have to you have to work a little bit more. I mean, if it's sometimes Marshallonga is uh, you have a pretty good average speed compared to here. Yeah, I'd even say that the cold weather is kind of a trademark uh, of of La Diagonela. It has been cold, really chilly in the morning so many times, minus twenty or so. Uh, and as you mentioned, the snow is really slow, and uh, it's a beautiful surrounding, of course, but. Uh, it's really hard to find perfect skis for this, for, for the conditions over there. Even if you may look like they look perfect wintry conditions, uh, but they really hard. I mean, I mean that the snow is kind of coarse, very different from the, uh, for example, from the snow that we have here in Scandinavia, even if it's cold over here quite a lot as well. But still, the snow is very different. High altitude, all that makes it somewhat, challenging i'd say tricky uh, yeah even. a lot you're skiing a lot in the shadow since the sun is not that high up in uh, that time of the year and um it's uh, yeah tough race the distance and the snow and the, the last 10k all the hills there so and also as many athletes mentioned is if, if it's totally flat you don't get any rest because you need to double pull all the time that is true. I always remember uh, when I interviewed him after Toplach Cortina way back when, when they had the only the short 30K flat loop 
and I asked him about the race and said, well, actually, to be honest, quite often these flat uh, races, the flat uh, courses are more challenging because, as you said, no rest at all. Mm. And this is kind of, I mean, there's rest, but it's a little bit, uh, as I said, gradual climb, uh, really usually a slow snow. Then you have this tough climb. Then you come, and the downhills all the way to, remember the drama we had last year going down towards San Moritz. Uh, you have, and they're not overly challenging for our skiers, but always when you have a lot of people uh, going down a winding, curvy, curvy track, uh, you have to be careful. Uh, yeah. And then right before Pontresina, another tough, tough climb. And speaking of last year, uh, we all remember Peter Eliasen and Chrisande Jespersen. And yeah. uh, those two were in a breakaway. And Peter Eliasen uh, chose to uh, use kick wax. We still really don't know why. I mean, we do. He said he wanted to test it and kind of show people that it's possible. But still, that surprised a lot of people. Yeah, because he, he was in this podcast and he yeah, he said he wanted to test it. And also he had been sick and uh, before that and so on, he wanted to try. But uh, yeah, it surprised many of us uh, and many other athletes. But he, he gave some kind of explanation in this podcast, but we... We are not sure anyway what, what what happened. He was in the lead with Chris Jespersen, and then he, I think he fi- finished in thirtieth place, way behind. Uh, but I mean, Chris uh, Andre Jespersen, he took his first victory and won by several minutes. It was an awesome performance. It was it was great to see. I think this is a good moment to take a look at the uh, last year's results, and we talked about those two skiers. So Chris Andre Jespersen. He won the race. That was finally his dream come true moment. It's been a long uh, uh, time coming for him, and uh, finally he did it. And after that, it was like, okay, now he's he's up. He's he finally did it. But it well, it remains to be seen if he can re, you know repeat the feat. Because that happens quite often that you your dream comes true and then suddenly you can't really. I mean, you kind of, I, I kind of, you kind of empty your tank, so to speak, or your your juice. You run out of juice, and uh, you don't win again. But we'll see. He's, it's a bit. He's a bit of a quiz, question mark. We'll talk about the favorites for this particular race. We should race also mention Shemiakin was on the podium last year. So yes, was- he was third. He was third. A Russian winter team, and that was also the uh, kind of the first sign of that particular team performing so well. Uh, uh, and that's for actually second time because right before that, uh, Ermin Vukuev won. Uh, but those two, those, those two performances really showed us that, okay, this team uh, is going really strong. And uh, Yedalen, to us, the Yedalen, he was second. And quite often we tend to forget, you know, how consistent he is. Uh, and he was second in the overall, uh, you know, the champion competition uh, last season as well, right behind uh, his then teammate uh, Andres Nigord. and uh, those, so the Chris Andriespesen was first, Tour Asteyedal in second, uh, Alec, uh, Alexei Shemiaking uh, third, and of course uh, Andriespesen, Chris Andriespesen, Team Kuteng, Tour Asteyedal in Team Ragde Ayendom last year. Now he has a new team. He's a captain of the team Expand. And Alexei Shemiakin, Russian winter team. Then Stian Hölgard, fourth, Team Kuteng. Andreas uh, Nigor, Team Rakte Ayendom, fifth. Markus Juhasson, Lager 157 ski team, sixth. Ari Lusua from Finland, 
uh, Valdava Fanski team, and he's actually rep going to represent the same team this season as well. So uh, seventh, Ari Turbjör said Bedal, team Kuteng eighth, and of course he has retired, still actively uh, working behind the scenes. And uh, Maxim Vileksanin, Russian winter team, ninth. And we all know that Maxim, of course, is a famous uh, from the standard distances with all his Olympic and World Championship glory. But he's he performed really well throughout the last season. I'm actually have high hopes for him come this season. And Class uh, Nilsson tenth. Uh, and let's also take a look at the uh, the women's uh, result from last year from the same race. And we remember that race as well, Astrid. Öreslin, uh, that was really a great day for Team Kuteng as uh, Astrid Öreslin won and Chrisande Jespersen. By a lot. The, and, and, and then oh, Kari Vika, exactly, by a lot. I mean, really, they were in a league of their own, uh, both of them. And Kari Vika in Yeitnes uh, was second. And as I just mentioned, uh, Stian Hill got fourth. So, I mean, really consistent, uh, great performance overall, you know, from the team. Uh, so Astrid Öreslin first, uh, then Kari Vikhagen Yeitnes second, both from Team Kuteng. Uh, Vikhagen Yeitnes, of course, uh, also retired, not racing anymore. Katarina Smutna third, at System Bauer team. Pritta Johansson Nogren fourth, Lager 157 ski team. And naturally, Pritta then uh, uh, managed to win the overall because she's so consistent. Uh, she never really gets sick, that's her kind of a secret weapon. Fifth, Thea Krukan Murud, Team Rakteyendom. That year, of course, she's not representing that team anymore. Uh, Ida Dahl, sixth, uh, Team Ramudden. Uh, Ida, really an interesting name, we'll talk about her soon. As is Emilia Fleten, uh, Team Rakteyendom. Again, not representing that team anymore. Seventh, Olga Tsareva, Russian winter team. Eighth, Sofia Elebru, ninth, Team Barket Partner Hushiren. And Laila Kveli. Team uh, Engong. So that's a top 10 from, uh, from the men's side and also from the women's side. Looking into this year, next Saturday, Eric, what do you think? Uh, this particular race, La Diagonella, is always uh, coming up, presenting lots of surprises. We yeah. still remember that to 2015 when uh, uh, Bill Impola <laughs> went astray and uh, yeah, then... But we uh, I think we should start with the first year. I mean, initially the, the race was held within a very short notice and suddenly there was a race there. It was supposed not to be that year. And the, the winner there uh, among the men was uh, Rika Tunnel. And I was, will actually say that it's the biggest uh, surprise in the history of Isma Ski Classics, maybe the biggest surprise of cross-country skiing in the... Uh, more than times, I mean, he had. I still been, remember the race, you know, so vividly. <laughs> yeah, he he had never been top fifteen before, and uh, he he hadn't been top twenty before, and he he wasn't ever top fifteen after. So it's by far the the biggest surprise in, in the history of Isimuski Classics. He he took off early in the race, and the long distance skiing at that time they were kind of afraid of the altitude, so they were not skiing they were a little careful and uh, back in the pack Daniel Tunnell was skiing there and kind of they used some tactics in team Tunnel with just two skiers and uh, I mean it, it, it was kind of uh, amazing 
that and that kind of set the the standard for this race because as you mentioned the the, the year after Bilimpula skied the wrong way uh, when he was leading and that would would have been a pretty good, big surprise to us as well but instead Easton Pilsa Petersen won and that's his only victory um and I mean, also we had Larissa Ryazina there from Russia. It, she was second uh, the first year in his first Vismaski Classics race. And after that, she never reached top five. We also had Sandra Hansson, actually a multiple event win- winner in Vismaski Classics. She did her very last ski race. I think that was her last ski race, actually, in La Diagonela 2015. She raced with a flu without knowing it, and she got she bonked so hard at altitude. She was actually ninth in, in finish, but I mean, for her, that was not that good. Um, she never got back to to the the series. She's, I mean, that was she, she really bonked and never got back. So it's uh, a lot of things is happening in, in La Diagonela. Exactly, and even the uh, we talked about last year uh, was also a big surprise. Um, well, we can't really say surprise that this Chris and- Andre Jespersen won, uh, but finally he was able to do that. And Peter Eliasson's choice to go uh, kick with kick wax, and it's always been. And then um, uh, the uh, the Russian skier now uh, representing Switzerland, uh, Elias Ernusov, won the race once as well. Uh, so there's always been quite a lot of. Um, Surprises, yes, but also a lot of drama, uh, yeah. action. It's uh, I don't know, maybe because it's early in the season, that could be also the reason. You may, uh, we've been talking about the high altitude quite a lot as well, and I've noticed a lot of different strategies and tactics uh, with within the teams. Uh, sometimes uh, they show up like, and I think Bob, uh, sorry, Bill Imbola at that time, uh, that t- team. T- his team at that time, they arrived like night before. And that was one of the reasons he, he went lost or went astray because he didn't have a chance to go and, and ski the course. Uh, so they kind of counted on, on that strategy showing up day before while uh, many other teams arrived uh, really early on uh, just to kind of get adjusted with the uh, the altitude. And that is the case with many teams right now. Uh, team Rakti Ayendom uh, is already staying Staying in, in living your training, and I think uh, you probably know better, but I think uh, Lager 157 ski team, those skiers have already left yeah. as well. At least most of them are there getting adjusted. Yeah, most most athletes want to be there well in advance, like a, like a week, or if not, they go the day before. Yeah, that kind of seems to be the uh, either about week or maybe even 10 days before or right before, not like three or four days. That's usually the worst. At least that's what they say. We have to remember everything's a bit of a, a, you know, individual. Some people are really, some people never get used to high altitudes. Uh, yeah. Some do. Andreas Nigo always says that he's not a big fan fan of, of high altitudes, although he has performed really well. Uh, he, he, has won, he has won the race. <laughs> yeah, he, he has won the race once. But, I mean, most of the time, Andreas Nigo is not skiing that well in La Diagonela. Exactly. Uh, we should also mention that Masako Ishida took her first victory here, and also Ilya Chernusov on his home turf took his first victory here. 
Yes, exactly. That's that's what I, what I mentioned earlier. That he's that's yeah. also a great place for him. Although we have to remember that, as you said, his home home, his home turf. He's a Russian skier, but practically a Swiss now. Um, then now, but it's good. It's really good, uh, uh, Eric. That the, kind of the history of the race because it's not that that long. The history isn't really not that long. It started in twenty fourteen, but. What a history it is! A lot of <laughs> drama and action, as I pointed out earlier. But um, this this year, next Saturday, what do you think? Based on all the history now, based on uh, what you know and you talk to the teams and so forth, and uh, and also kind of looking at last year's results. Yeah. What do you think? What if we start with ladies? I mean, one athlete that's always been skiing well in La Diagonela is Katarina Smutna. She has been second, second, first, third, first and third. She has been on the podium all the time. Uh, I think, I mean, it's a hard to tell. It has been a little different courses and also the course is not specifically hilly or specifically flat or it's like in the middle of many things. So but it is special with, as we mentioned before, about altitude and snow and so on. So I think Smutna will do well in this race. Um, Britta Johansson-Norgen, has, she has won her two times. Uh, she's usually skiing pretty well in the whole January. So I think for sure she can do very well. Uh, last year, Astrid Eureslind won by a lot, but... She's also, I think it was in was it 2018, she dropped out. Um, she she has a, she had, had some problems with illness and also her body. Maybe that year it was her hand or wrist or something. But I mean, Slind is a little more up and down compared to Britta Iwansson-Norgen. Um, but if I guess it would be those three, maybe Slind first, Smutna second and Britta third. If I would guess. Although I think Eures uh, uh, Lind is a bit of a mystery at this stage. We don't really know much about her shape. Uh, yeah, unless she you have some race in Norway as well now a few weeks ago. That is correct. And uh, But based on last year and based on what you just said, you know, she's definitely a contender. Uh, what about the, um, the uh, you know, the kind of the new faces? Ida, Ida Dahl. Emilia Fletten. Uh, I mean, so it's been Gröken. looking very good for those, uh, as you mentioned, uh, and they did. They started out very well in Vismaski Classic, and during the summer, has been has been looking good. And uh, we also have uh, uh, we we have uh, some good skiers coming in that we don't know about, but usually they don't reach the podium but maybe Ida Dahl, I mean she's been fourth a few times and if one more year of training she could definitely definitely reach the podium What about Emily Fletten? She has been on the podium, she was on a podium once last season Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I don't think usually I think because it's a little longer and uh, altitude and so on I think it'd be like the, the, the all good names. And also what's really interesting is that since this is the first race, no prologues, we also have two sprint points. And the sprint competition uh, will commence as well. We don't have any, um, any points for uh, 
for the, uh, the the hill climb the climb competition we used to have yeah. uh, one in this but not not this year uh so the first one is at 16 16 kilometers at Sameran and the second one is uh, the San Moritz 122k what about that particular competition I mean, they are pretty early in the race so many could follow I mean if, if we look at the finish it's not really a a race that is suited for a sprint winner like uh, the fastest it's not like Vasalopet when you come in 20 people to uh, to the straightaway with 300 meters to go I mean the, the, the last hill is so tough so if you look at the finish it's not going to be like the fastest gear necessarily but then those sprint points are pretty early in the race and not that hill before that so it's pretty open I would say it depends on who is hungry to get like the first point of the year and Britta Iwansan-Norgen is usually, she, she can't like, uh, she can't be calm. She thinks it's so fun. So maybe Britta will take some points there in the beginning. And what about the men's side? Do you think the Stia, of course, we know the Stia and Berg is going to go for this, this particular competition and defend his title? Yeah, I mean, there are several that are really going for the sprint and I think it will suit Stian well. And also Panchin, Pan, Panchinski could do well. Good name, good name. Uh, and that's a good segue for us to talk about the men's side of the, the overall race. So your favorites for the, you know, the, for the women's competition are the, what I usually tend to call the usual suspects, the uh, Britta, Lena, and Astrid. But the men's competition, that's, that's kind of an open game, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we mentioned Nygaard. I mean, he has won the race, but now... It's been a little bit down many times. You mentioned Järdalen. I mean, if you look at his La Diagonale, his places are 6th, 2nd, 2nd, 1st, 2nd, 2nd. And I think with a new team, new energy, he he doesn't need to care about what what uh, Eliasen and Nygaard is doing. So I my guess is Järdalen first, uh, Eliasen second. He has won the race before. And then... Mortenated Peterson in third. He he skied all the uh, <laughs> I was about to say episode, all uh, editions of La Diagonela, and he's last year he wasn't that good, but usually he's pretty good in uh, La Diagonela. I think he can be third, and as like jokers, I have put uh, the whole uh, Russian team there. I mean, if they show up and they are in shape, they could uh, really be on the podium more than one of them. Exactly. That's a, wouldn't really go call them a you know dark horses or surprise surprises anymore. We all expect them to do well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, speaking of uh, Monet de Pedersen, he also has a new new team, Team Nordic Athlete, uh, formerly Team Mampa, now which has now expanded to be a kind of a Scandinavian team right now. And he's the captain of that. And yeah, Dalen, of course, is uh, now the new captain of Team Expand Norwegian team. Good names. Uh, I definitely agree with you. Uh, what do you, who are, do you miss? Uh, actually, I was kind of going to ask you about the dark horses because this race is is uh, uh, known known for that, and we talked about the kind of the history of it, and it's, it's like really, really dark horses. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking, is there anyone, of course, to pick a dark horse? I, I would uh, say Chris. It's a really yeah. difficult one, but uh, Chris anyone? The, uh, Chris on the Jespersen is a dark horse, even though he won last year, because you don't know if he will 
uh, not get his ski on or if he will uh, drop out with two Ks to go in the lead or he is he's always a dark horse I would say what about the um, any Swedish guys? You know, could, do you think that they could be anyone from there? I, maybe the class Nielsen, someone like that, could be this no, year's really the dark horse. I think it's a course for Emil uh, Emil Persson. I don't think it will be a course for him. Uh, I think Anton Carlson actually has the potential to be on the podium in this race. Uh, Anton Carlson and Marcus Johansson, I would say. Marcus Johansson has actually done well in this race more than once before uh, uh i think uh, yeah marcus johansson or anton carlson could be on the podium among the swedes any other swedes that you could what about the for the formerly the team Ignegeist that doesn't know how, has a new name uh those guys have always performed really well at Basel, yeah. which is a long one yeah cross nielsen but i mean he was fifth at Basel, but, but that's his best. Then I would say instead Oscar Cardin. I, th- I think he was in the podium in La Diagonela once. He could, uh, I think more of uh, Oscar Cardin could do well. What about someone like uh, Ari Lusua, for example, seventh? Yeah, I mean, could level. he be a dark horse? Yeah, for sure. Uh, interesting to see uh, if he has done his summer training. Uh, he could be. Oh, I, he has. I know for sure. He's been training. <laughs> He's been training a lot. Hopefully not too much. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, those are good. I mean, it's One it's always kind of good to speculate. Oh, you have another name. I mean, we, maybe we need to mention Max Novak also. Uh, he won the Swedish opening race in traditional skiing. So he has done his homework as well. Of course, although he's not a dark horse, but yeah. a potential winner yeah, uh, for sure. Um, what still one more thing about this race before we move on to a little bit of the overall season based on all this that you've just talked about and your re- research on the race and stuff what kind of uh, or can you even name or can you even define what kind of a skier do you need to be to win La Diagonela because it's, as we talked about high altitude not really it's not really a, what they call the high capacity race per se because there are not that many climbs but then again, the altitude and the slow snow and so perfect. Your how would you define a perfect La Diagonela <laughs> racer? I mean, you, you don't need it. You don't don't need to be very fast. That's something that's um, it's the same with Marcialonga, and uh, that's different from, for example, Tobla Cortina or, or so on. I mean, if you look at the finish at Tobla Cortina, it's kind of downhill. If you look at Yesariska, uh, it's kind of downhill in the finish, even though it's a pretty hilly race. So, but I think it's you need to have pretty good capacity, and uh, you need to be able to stand distance. You need to have a pretty good fat burning. Uh, it is a difference between to race for two hours compared to three hours. Um, so, um, yeah, it will be. Uh, the best gear it's a pretty fair race so to say i mean it's you have time to to pass skiers in the last uphill it's not uh, the, the, usually the the pack is not that big in the in the end that is correct that is correct and also you mentioned the the passing it's a uh, it's a wide wide course as well you have a lot of space there as well at least in in in, in most places and so you can you can maneuver. You have uh, uh, lots of places to do 
do your kind of strategic moves. Yeah. And one thing we should mention also, since it's the first race, uh, I think there are lots of skiers that want to show their brands and their team and the sponsors in TV. So I think we can expect to see uh, skiers that are not too fast to be in the lead in the beginning and maybe do some breakthrough just because lots of people are watching. It's the first race and they want to show their sponsor. They want to show their team names and so on. So I think since it's the first race, um, we will see a different dynamics in, in the in the group in the beginning. Really good point. That's, that will definitely uh, happen. I I agree with you. That's most likely going to happen. We'll see a lot of breakaway, at least attempts uh, there. First race is always, a, you know, a different, very different from from the other races. From La Diagonela to the overall season. After that, we still have uh, plenty more races to to cover. Uh, now, your take on on? I know we've been through all the favorites, but based on all the kind of the new research, recent results, anything you want to change? from that time when we went through all the favorites, the bib favorites overall? N not really, but one thing to, to keep in mind is that, I mean, there are some skiers that are a little better in January and some that are a little better in March. I mean, the best example is Tim Ragdeyendum. They're not that fast in the beginning of the season, but they're very strong in the, in the race in the end of the season. And Lager 157s are like the opposite. Now, since the season starts in middle of January, most skiers have probably changed their training. So maybe this will be a little bit turned around. Um, so I think the, maybe, for example, I mean, there could be a shift in how people are in shape and so on. So I'm really eager to see what's going to happen with this shift. And right after La Diagonella, we have the Italian races, Topla Cortina and Marcia Longa. Anything you want to say about those two races coming up? Well, Marcia Longa is uh, such a big goal for, for many skiers, and they, uh, they're trying to be in the best shape there. I mean, because now you don't race back-to-back, -back, then you can, you can better pinpoint some races, and Marcia Longa is now Grand Classics race, so... It's going to be even more that people really want to do well in Marcelonga. You get more points if you win or if you get a good place and you get more money if you win it. So um, maybe we'll see that most real good skiers are doing their training schedule so that could be in even better shape in Marcelonga, even though they have, for example, Vasselopet as the biggest goal. And then in between those two races, uh, uh, yeah. We have Yiselska Paresatka, which is also Grand Classic Classics event. And a goal to many, at least for the Czech teams, you know, one of the primary, uh, the main races uh, for, for many teams, you know, like the Czech teams. And and we talked about Mornita Pedersen, who always performs uh, so well there. Uh, yeah. And very different race from the ones that we have in Central uh, Europe. And then the one that's coming up after that, which is, of course, Vasilopet. Then maybe the most interesting race this year is uh, what if it's at 100k? Indeed, the longest in the history of Visma Ski Classics. So, I think uh, lots of athletes are they're they're really eager to to try see what's happening with their body, 
such a long race and it's a lot more hilly than, than the second longest race. So I think we could expect that it will be a different winner there compared to the other races or maybe like at least if you if you look at top 10 or top 20 it's going to be a little different. And we also have to remember that this season is more compact because we don't yeah. have the, the, the those prologues uh, and the G December races everything is happening uh, in a shorter period of time and uh, which is also could be somewhat more challenging for the athletes but then again could be a bit easier because then you don't like have to kind of uh, drag on uh, with your shape you can kind of it's really twofold now the uh, European races then a bit of a break and then the Scandinavian races starting uh, with Vasa Loped going all the way to the, the final uh, Ules Levi yeah. from the athlete's perspective what do you think do you think that this is something that they would definitely prefer it's very kind of easy and simple at least on paper I think the athletes are very adaptable. They love racing and they know there are challenges in the world right now and they just they just keep on training and then they see the schedule and they say let's go for it and the, I mean they I think they're so hungry to to be out there with the bib. So if there are two weekends in a row or five weekends in a row or if it's 50k or 70k, I mean that's not the most important thing. The most important thing for the athlete is to be able to race. And since you're not really thinking that there will be much changes to your earlier predictions or the favorites, and speaking of which, you can uh, you can get our magazine, our uh, Pro XC's uh, skiing magazine. You can go uh, online and order that and uh, read all, all about you know the favorites that Eric. Eric has uh, written about, and also all the events and the pro teams, uh, all the good stuff, uh, and also the my pages. You can join that. Uh, you heard uh, Caroline Erickson earlier on this uh, episode as she talked about my pages. So you all, all of you out there, can join us uh, by just uh, logging on to uh, creating your own uh, page, your own site, and uh, be. be part of the family and do the races as much as you can and uh, but your prediction or your sort of favorite to win the overall still the same names or any other that you might kind of consider now that could be at least uh, a challenger in terms of winning the overall I mean, it's hard to just come up and last for a whole season. Of course, there could be surprises in races. But, I mean, when looking at the yellow bib, it's uh, they're usually not the surprise winner of the yellow bib. You need to be consistent. You need to be healthy. You need to have experience uh, uh, and so on. What i kind of unsecure about is that we talked about, like, how... Who is in shape in what race? How is this calendar, this... the the, the calendar would start in January instead how will that affect people in how they're racing and how I mean what if if you look at for example Emil Passion I think he he won two races last year that they're now gone the the, the short prologue and the Kaiser Maximilian Lauf and now it's instead it's a hilly 100k race of course Emil Passion might not get as many points as, as he would have with the other calendar so there are small differences there, but 
once you have lots of races, like nine races or eleven races, there you need to have. I mean, you need to be healthy and free of injury. You need to have good capacity. You need to have good skis. You need to have a good team. There are like so many requirements that will you will see the best woman and the best man after nine races. So, uh, who are your picks again? Your names for the, the king and the queen of Ski Classics in season eleven. My predictions are. As I wrote in the magazine, Britta Johansson Norgen and Andreas Nygård. And the reason for that is that they are able to win races. They have a good capacity. They are fast and they tend to last for, I mean, they, they don't do bad races. At least not Britta. She's very, very consistent. Um, if someone is challenged, Britta is... Maybe Lena Korsgren actually, or if Astrid Eireslint is more healthy. Um, for Andreas Nygård, I would say Gerdalen and uh, Petr Eliasson are challenging him for sure. And uh, I, I kind of think it's Gerdalen's year. So maybe he can win. Good names. Uh, mine are the kind of the same, but in a different order. I think Petr Eliasson, looking at the, you know, knowing his shape right now, he won that 30k race in Norway by a minute, uh, and uh, but then again, Andreas Nigor was only a minute and four seconds or something like that behind him, him. So he's in a good shape as well. Uh, but most of the races now uh, are races that should suit him quite well. Some yeah, I mean, better than, yeah. and so it's uh, no prologues, no short races, uh, uh, races where he can really uh, use his, uh, you know, the in a strength which is the the breakaway and, and a really fast pace uh, and but yeah, for example, of course Lopez will suit Petr yes. better than Nygård probably yes perfectly and all the uh, races uh, Birke Beiner he's the winner we, we still remember the last race how he just broke you know away and won the race uh, you mentioned Orefels Lopez a tough course Ulles Levy is not the easiest course either he has won the race uh, before and um, so those, those, uh, and also Reistelöpe, depending on, I think this year he probably won't go uh, double polling. So uh, maybe kickbacks for him. And he's a really good diagonal strider as well. So I think uh, Peter Eliasen, then, as you said, Nigod, Andreas Nigod, and uh, Turase Yedalen are the, the contenders uh, just breathing on his neck. On the women's side, yeah, Britta probably, although I tend to think that maybe this could be the year for either Lina Kuskren, as you said, or Astrid Ödes Lind to finally dethrone her, so to speak. Um, but they need to stay healthy, as you yeah. said. That's the key thing. So really an interesting year. That's a, a really cool season that we are facing and which is about to get to get started at this so the next Saturday. So, anything else before we wrap up, Eric? You want to say about the uh, this upcoming season? No, just that I'm I'm so looking forward to the season to get started. So, yeah, that's it. As we are, everyone, as we are, all of us, everyone's really excited uh, to to see this finally happening. So, thank you very much, Eric. It's always good to talk to you, uh, and your insight is so valuable. And uh, next Saturday, it'll be finally the Big Bang, 
Bismarck Ski Classics, the Pro Tour uh, in season 11 is going to get started. La Diagonella 65 kilometer race uh, in Switzerland. Uh, so stay, uh, stay around, stick around, stay tuned for more. And of course, uh, you will hear the race recap podcast uh, next Saturday as well. So stay tuned. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, now, Happy New Year once again to you all and keep exercising. Bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.